Ready for some hot takes? I, you know, frankly, um, I think I am more fired up than ever to give a lot of harsh opinions about various things that other people like that ultimately kind of have to get like edited out of the show, you know? I'm ready. Like, what things am I going to, do you think I'm going to bring up that other people like? That Peruvians. You're... Well, it's not that far off. (laughs) I guess my first bit of news. Pablo Escobar's cocaine hippos are now a toxic invasive species in Colombia, and a plan is in the works to ship them out of the country. They're they're an invasive species. Like, are they breeding that fast? Yeah, they're. It's a like a a toxic invasive species now. So the toxic. It's just like a. They're well. I'll tell you. The drug lord <laughs> imported four hippos from Africa illegally in the 1980s, and the hippos have continued to multiply to about 130 hippos today in the area of the Antigua province and the broad area around the Hacienda Naples ranch, which is where he lived, could hold about 400 hippos in eight years, according to environmental authorities. And this ranch and the hippos have become like a tourist attraction since Escobar was killed by the police in 1993. And here the hippos have thrived and reproduced due to the large availability of local rivers, favorable climate, and no natural predators. And the pro- why they're toxic is because they're pooping so much, and the animals in the area aren't used to the poop, so it's like upsetting the ecosystem. Oh, okay. I thought you were saying it was like actually like I don't know. Like, like hippos are poisonous. Like they were doing so much of his like cocaine that like <laughs> they like you know like their blood was actually like you know. They that's the be the sequel the to Cocaine Bear is Cocaine yeah, Hippos. Is cocaine Honestly, hippos. I wonder why because this I've seen this like these articles coming out a lot and I don't know if it is because like they do kind of have like plans to get these hippos out of there, but because Cocaine Bear is out and they're like okay there's Cocaine Hippos too. You know, but I'm the hippos are not cool. I'm gonna say it. I'm on Team Hippo here. You know, I am too. Let him be. You leave him be, and it's actually you know it's an animal species that like you know they you, you know they they got a bad break you know Pablo like had him in the pool you know making him do a bunch of like you know doing all his uh, leftover coke that he didn't want you know and uh, but they're, now they're just living they're just out there you know fucking reproducing and all that you know. And you know other species, you know, that we're putting up on a pedestal, like pandas, for example. Pandas. pandas. We couldn't pay pandas to have sex with each other. We have to, like, play them porn. That's, we like, have to artificially inseminate them, I feel like. Yeah. And hippos, they're just... Out- oh, we're and- so team panda because yeah. they're cute and they're cool, good, good on t-shirts. These hippos, hippos are, cute. are out here surviving. Hippos are not cute. And they're planning to send them over to, like, India and Mexico, and I'm pretty sure they're going to, like, put them in, like, a zoo or Wait, something. Like, does Pablo Escobar not live in Mexico? He's dead. No, he lives in Colombia. Or the, this You're like kidding. This ranch was in Colombia. Well, he maybe was in Mexico at some point, oh. but this, like, ranch was in Colombia. Okay, okay. Yeah, and it's offloading all the problems to, uh, to India and Mexico. A tale as old as time, if you ask me. They're, the technical term for the operation is translocating. Translocating. You're ripping them out of their home. Their cocaine home. Bless you, Smokey. Invasive and toxic someplace else. You yeah, know? exactly. Okay, well, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna chalk it up to sad news, you know. Yeah, I know. I'm kind of upset hippo, about it. I honestly you know. want the hippos to stay. Yeah. You know, you know, another thing. You know, I mean, like, hippos are like low key, like the most powerful animal on the planet. That's you know? that's also in like every article you read is like hippos are actually dangerous. And it's like no shit. Everyone knows on that. On the face of the earth, they get shit done. They establish a territory. They protect the territory and they make love. You know, 
and you know sweet hot sweet hot hippo hippo love, love you know and if we're not if we're not extolling the virtues of the goddamn panda we're all about these dolphins who are actually <laughs> okay behind closed doors uh, dolphins are rapists and murderers of their own kind this they is, kill their own kind this is fact this oh. is fact this is fact. is it i mean look it up you know I mean? well i mean like dolphin rape like isn't like the best google search you can do yeah you know but like if you do it you know you're gonna see facts you know were you hmm. that's a story for later um have i been touched by a dolphin no were you up in the <gasps> cross what was that smoky he hates dolphins too <laughs> he hates dolphins play their ball what does he want from me? I, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's like, I want to, I'm trying, I wish I would have like saved this article, but there was an article about apparently like a dolphin skull was like discovered in like some dude's luggage in like Florida. A dolphin skull? Like a skull, yeah. Well, that's dolphin, that's good. Yeah, that's yeah. right, get him out of here. Yeah, get him out. Um, my next piece of news is not actually very interesting, but we're both Game of Thrones fans. Are we? House of the Dragons fans. I am, I don't know about you. Uh, yeah, I think you're kind of a fake. I'm, well, I mean, I'll, I'll watch every episode once, and at that point, I've taken it in, and I'm like, I don't know, like, an episode of The Office, I, I really don't like to, to go back, you know? Yeah, I suppose. Yeah. Just a sec. Apologies for the bad audio quality up until this point. Yes. Forrest wanted to lay down some, instead of sit some, up. Some of, us, some of us really, you know, have to go to the old salt mines, you know, for their nine to five. Yeah, so. You can sit down on the ground like I am. On the cold, hard floor, you You say. have three pillows right next to you. And no hot chocolate, and here we are, you know. I have cocoa. I can make you some. <laughs> All right, well, anyway, as we were saying before I realized the audio quality was shitty, the the House of the Dragon co-creator, Ryan Condal, Condal, told the world that we will meet five new dragons in House of the Dragon Season 2. F- five? They're going to put five new dragons in. I just like I just like seeing the dragons. Where are they going to get them from? The, the dragon star? Yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. Um, so... That's pretty this interesting. This is more just like a pop pop news update. No, no, it's pretty cool. For the, my Game of Thrones fans out there, oh, there are going to be more dragon content in, which I feel like every... So in Game of Thrones, people are like, the dragons kick ass, and then in House of the Dragons, they're like, you're going to see so many dragons, and now in House of the Dragons Season 2, they're like, five more dragons. I mean, I mean we're, we're already down... Aren't we down one dragon? Because that kid with the one eye, oh, al- yeah, alopecia, got- you know, went and killed the other guy. You know? <laughs> alopecia means you have no hair. He's like albino. Oh, I don't know about that one. Mm-hmm. He's got plenty of hair. Elvish oh. is like, yeah, when you don't have any hair. Man, I've been using that word a lot in the past couple weeks. Oh no, babe. Hmm. That's know. what um, Jada Pickett Smith. She has alopecia. Well, you can't tell her that. So her husband will come after you. Slap the shit out of you. I know. Yeah, but I don't tell her that. Um, Smokey, what are you doing? I just think there's something under the uh, thing over there. Huh. He's being rambunctious today. I know, I know. But yeah, so this Ryan Condal was joined by George R.R. R. Martin, fellow co-creator and author of the Game of Thrones series, along with eight cast members at an FYC special screening of Season 1, Episode 8, shown The Lord of the Tides. I can't remember what episode that was. Apparently, Martin said, The pressure of trying to follow the original series is nothing compared to the pressure of trying to finish the novel. That has me sleepless at night. The show, that's Ryan's problem. So I want to read the Game of Thrones books, and I've started, but they're not done. Right, right. They're, I mean, they're, they're, they're well past. And George is out here show, at right? premieres. Yeah, you know. Or I showings. Mean, it's not even a premiere. 
Yeah, the, the, the writing is a very it's a very intensive and creative process you can't just like you know you can't just churn it out like daytime television like Game of Thrones you know he has to like sit down it's drinking Game of Thrones is not daytime television uh, would, would you you know I don't know you know who knows daytime television is like days of our lives <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like like a soap opera yes. Game of Thrones is absolutely like a well done soap opera, I would say. You know, it's soap opera, but there's like dragons. And dragons. Yeah, I would say there's there's dragons, and honestly, well, there's right. less. Just like actually, there's still a lot of um like sim like simmering. I was gonna, well, I was gonna say there's there's less suggested sex because all soap operas are is suggested sex. Like people like you hear like they like oh, close the door. They close the door. You hear yeah. like a saxophone player and like. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Careless whisper. Exactly. And so there's less suggested sex in like Game of Thrones, but there's definitely more like penis and like boob hats, aka nipples, you know? Boob hats. Boob hats. <laughs> you need to stop saying nipples. <laughs> <laughs> boob hat. So, um, where are we going with Game of Thrones? Well, that was oh, all... oh, oh, moss dragons. Moss Ma dragons. I just, that was my, course, my, cult, my pop culture update. Yeah, yeah. It was about well, Game of Thrones. Well, I think that's a, I think that's a good thing. And you, know? you, you pop culture informed me that people are mad at Cole Sprouse. I did. I did just because a man was just wanting to like, you know, unbutton his, uh, you know, his puffy button down shirt and uh, smoke a cig inside, which we've all done that before. I've done that with a black and mild at my friend Will's house. Ugh. No. Continue. Will on that one. Ugh. Well, Continue. you know. Um, I know nothing about Cole Sprouse besides his excellent work on Sweet Life uh, of Zack and Cody as well as Sweet Life on Deck, you know, as well as the Sweet Life movie, you know. Um, I really haven't checked in in a while, you know. He looks rough. Yeah, you know. I've got the ick. You're pro, you're pro Cole. I'm anti-Cole. I'm not pro Cole. I just like, this is just some random person who I know nothing about. And I saw him chilling, smoking a cig, in, you know, inside. And the Twitter just And, every, and everyone's mad at him about yeah. it, you know. I don't know. We're talking, we're talking about full child stars, I I think know? now, maybe that'll be one of the, like, because I, you know, I listen to Call Her Daddy, and maybe I will listen to the episode tomorrow, and then I will come up with more reasons why I dislike Cole Sprouse. Is like, you know, because, like... I have, I, like, listened to, like, because she put out, like, one segment, like, a preview of the episode, and yeah. he was, like, talking about his ex-girlfriend, and yeah. it, it just sounded like he was... I don't know. It's probably just gonna be like, you know, well, you know, in the world of like, in the world of um, former former child stars, you know, there's a there's many more child former child stars who I would you know like close the door on before him, you know, like you know who I don't. Macaulay Culkin. Macaulay Culkin absolutely come inside any single time. That is such a cool dude, you know? You know who I, like, don't want to, like, have in my house? Like, I don't know, Amanda Bynes. Imagine the amount of poops I like Amanda Bynes. No. Wait, I'm thinking of the wrong. I'm thinking of Amanda Seyfried. No, 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 she's lovely, you know? Amanda Bynes is, like, going to, like, come into your house, ask if you have any Newport cigarettes. You tell you you only have Marlboro. This is a Marble house. And she poops on the floor and leaves, okay? That's what Amanda <laughs> Bynes is, okay? Sounds like a woman that knows what she wants. She does mean business. You know, you can commend her on that, but you don't have to let her inside. Sometimes pooping on the floor is the fastest way to get things done. I'll have to take notes on that one. Um, you know, <laughs> so point is, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I mean... The, jur the jury's out on, on Cole or Dylan Sprouse, whichever one it yeah, is. Yeah, where's There's Dylan? Two... What's he up to? What's the twin up to? Just sitting in the hot car outside yeah. waiting for his brother to be God done. Damn I don't it, know. Cole, done. <laughs> Hurry up, we've got to go to, you know, Chick I don't know, Chick-fil-A, yeah. you know, yeah, I don't know. I so, suppose. Yeah. All mm -hmm. right. Well, that was all the news I had because... That
Well, I was supposed to. Well, <laughs> you know, if, uh, if if you've listened to more than one episode on this show, you'll know that I famously do not watch news. And then, lo and behold, this week I volunteered to actually bring the news. And you know what happened this week? I didn't look at the news. So. But that's okay, because I had a two backup things. All and right. actually, there really wasn't a lot going on that I wanted to talk Over about. Over the next week, I will look at my Instagram suggested page. That usually has some news, you know? There's so many things wrong with that. Okay. <laughs> But it's okay. All right. That's fine. We'll go with it. Well, I have gotten Audible, and it has let me listen to some books that I would normally not read because I would get too bored while reading them. But Audible, I can just stop, kind of tune out and do something else for a little bit, and then I'll check back in when something's happening. And so I started reading, or reading slash listening to a book about the Black Dahlia. Oh, and now George gonna... O'Dell and the Funny Bunch. <laughs> love now it. we're gonna talk about the murder of Elizabeth Short. Oh, I love this. Get you know, yeah. Tell okay. me all about it. All right. So on January fifteenth of nineteen forty-seven, at ten thirty a.m., a woman and her young daughter saw a flash of light in the grass along the sidewalk in Lemert Park, a neighborhood of Los Angeles. She thought it was a mannequin, but that person, but and then she was like, no, that's a person. Mm-hmm. That's the sidewalk. They called the police from a nearby home, and the woman gave never gave her name to the officers, even though they asked. Suspicious. Mm-hmm. And the officers called a 390 in, which was a response to a sleepy drunk. Hollywood was about a 10-minute drive from this spot, and newspaper reporters had heard over the police radios that this was called in. So they went to the scene just expecting to find a sleepy drunk, because like that's, I guess, how news works then. Is they would just sit next to the police radio and just like yeah. wait and listen for something to happen. What do they do now? Probably the same thing. <laughs> okay. Just troll through Instagram until they see something oh, exciting. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. That's such a good question. It's like how do like like how do like um you know like grifters like TMZ but like the low level TMZs how do they get like get to like the shit that's happening nowadays? Well, I think like it's like a paparazzi thing where they just like creep around enough and there's so many of them that eventually yeah. somebody's in the right place at the right time. Huh. Anyway, LA Examiner reporter Will Fowler and Felix Pagel heard the story over the police radio and responded even before the police. They found not a drunken, stupid person, but a corpse laid spread eagle in the grass. They knew it was a body immediately, and he noticed that the body was cut in half. Both halves facing up, arms out, and eyes half open. <laughs> they knew it was a body immediately. They were like, oh, that looks like a body. <laughs> Tell you what, buddy. That's about it. You know, that ain't, that ain't a cow. <laughs> that a ain't a, that ain't a pile of baseballs. That's about it. So Fowler, the reporter, <laughs> knelt over the woman and closed her eyes, and he noticed that she did not take care of her fingernails and dyed her brown hair dark black. The lower vertebrae were cleanly sliced and not sawed through her midsection. And the photographer then began taking images, which would be touched up later and put in the LA Examiner. The first untouched look at the picture wouldn't be for another 40 years, but at the scene, they knew that the scene was very brutal, and it was seen that the two halves of the body were cleanly bisected at the waist, and the upper half was placed about a foot above the lower and offset by about six inches. Both arms were raised above the head, bent at like 90 degree angles at the elbow, and the body was posed only like six inches from the sidewalk which was led it to be late that it was surely going to get discovered right away. Mm-hmm. The police finally arrived, and Fowler left to call in the story to his city editor, and he was ordered back to the office with the photos, and these photos were then touched up a little so it wasn't as, like, scary. Because, like, the Black Dolly had, like, big cuts, like, almost like Joker cuts, mm-hmm. and they, like, edited those out somehow with, like, early 
Photoshop and kind of like blurred some things so it wasn't as bad, but they put it like in the paper that day. Wow. And then later Fowler returned to the scene to gather more information now that the police had arrived. So Detective Harry Hansen and Phineas Brown were assigned to the case from the university division. Harry Hansen and Phineas Brown. That's to You want to names. name two cops that aren't going to solve a mysterious murder. <laughs> Harry Hansen and Phineas Brown are not going to solve a, a, a complicated murder. They did not. Okay. All right. <laughs> so press and reporters were free to roam the scene at this time. Some press carried police badges and even impersonated police officers to get information. The police relied on the press to make them sound good. And even though it wasn't warranted, it's so like when a case went really bad or like something happened, the press would not mention it or make the police sound like they did a better job than they would so that the police would like drop them hints on like news to cover. And they were a pretty tight knit team. So this sort of crime was very unseen for 1947, especially a posed like body like this. A bag was found about six inches above the right hand, which was probably used to carry the body from a nearby car. Tire tracks and a heel print were found as well, but not secured or photographed by the detectives because people are just tromping around all over the scene. The absence of blood led the detectives to believe that the body was brought to the empty lot and not like manipulated or killed at the spot. Mm-hmm. Manipulated. Mutilated. Mutilated. That's the word I want. Okay. The body was named Jane Doe number one due to no ID being found on the body. And the next morning, Dr. Frederick Newbar performed the autopsy. The cause of death was a hemorrhage and shock from a blow to the head and face using a blunt instrument. A sharp, thin instrument like a scalpel may have been used to dissect the body. It was clearly very precise and someone trained in surgical procedures would have probably suspected to have made those incisions. Uh, Dr. Newbar's time of death was within 24 hours of the body being discovered which puts it at sometime after 10 a.m. on January 14th, the day before. And there were also marks on the body indicating that she may have been bound and tortured. And on January 16th, the LA examiner asked for a missing girl who chewed her fingernails. They gave the description of the woman, her past surgical and non-surgical scars, moles, and how she looked, her hair, eyes, build. And quite objectifying said, well-developed with trim legs. Seems like a gross thing to say about someone who's been cut in half. Right. But they wanted to transmit the fingerprints through Sound X, I don't know what that is, to the Washington, D.C. FBI records section. A memo was sent to J. Edgar Hoover on June 24th, 1947. January, not June. January 24th, 1947, stated that they had identified the body as Elizabeth Short by FBI fingerprint technicians. There were 104 million cards on file, like fingerprint cards. Mm-hmm. And Short submitted her prints when she applied for a job a clerk job position at the Post Exchange of Camp Cook, California on January 30th of 1943, and another was sent for or was submitted by Santa Barbara Police Department after an arrest on September 23rd, 1943, for violating juvenile court laws, and she was detained as a minor for being where alcohol was being served and not being of age. Okay. Yes. Sorry, I just lost my pace. Because <laughs> I was checking something. <laughs> so that's how they got their fingerprints. Was, was okay. I mean, that's how they Yeah. It was very, like, pretty high-tech at the time. Like, they yeah. took pictures or whatever of her fingerprints and sent them for the FBI, and they looked them up, and they found this girl. Oh, it was just a lot more complex back there. It was, like, like a lot more people, like, had fingerprints out there. Yeah, I know. Now I feel like it's kind of, like, moving to be, like, DNA or whatever. And I feel like not yeah. a lot of people have, like, I think... I think when I was, like, a baby, I think my parents, like, got me, like, fingerprinted. Mm-hmm. Like, I think they have, like, a little card of, like, my fingerprints. And I'm like, thanks, Mom. I can't do crime. <laughs> I'll take more gloves. <laughs> can't go to a crime now. Okay. I can't do crime. So, 
Elizabeth Short was born July 29, 1924 in Hyde Park outside of Boston. She grew up in Medford and was raised by her mother after her father abandoned her and her sisters in 1930. Elizabeth was popular in school but dropped out after her sophomore year and then moved to Miami, Florida, where she met a pilot named Matt Gordon Jr. And he, before he was sent overseas, and they were liking each other. Okay. So she then moved to Santa Barbara, California, where she was hired at the Camp Cook military base, where she was printed, and she worked there shortly, but then went to find her father, who lived nearby, and she only stayed with him shortly, and then moved back to Santa Barbara in September of 1943, and she may have had a little bit of a thing for a man in uniform, because she frequented bars with military personnel, that was where she was arrested in 1943, and she provided... She was provided a ticket home to Massachusetts by the police in California when she was arrested rather than facing charges in California. Okay. So that was kind of nice of them. So she still wrote Major Matt Gordon at this time, who eventually proposed in April of 1945, and she accepted. This is the pilot from Miami? Yes. Okay. He's still overseas. But unfortunately, he was killed in a plane crash in India before he could come home. So that sucks. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Elizabeth (laughs) went back home to Miami to work as... Or not work home. She went back to Miami to work as a waitress in the winter of 1945, then returned home and worked as a cashier in February 1946. She lived, returned to California on April 17th of 1946 to Hollywood, California. She lived in various boarding houses with a variety of roommates. Elizabeth was in San Diego at the beginning of 1947, where she met a man named Robert Manley, who was a married salesperson. Quick she- pause. This lady seriously, like, did... Like, about 10 different trips. You're talking about, like, the northeastern corner of the United States, the southeastern corner of the United States, you know, the absolute yeah. southeastern corner you know, of the United States, and the southwestern yeah, corner of the United States. Yeah, she was going all over the place. So needed to chill the hell out. For, like, two seconds. Oh, my goodness. How, yeah. how did she even accomplish that? That sounds I don't, like... Yeah, I don't know. It seems like she, like, made enough money and then would just pick up and leave. And then she was like, okay. okay. I made enough money here and I'm going to pick up and leave again. <sighs> Good Lord. I think she just was like very like go go go, okay. and I think she like it kind of like she was Free spirit. as we like kind of know she was kind of like a Hollywood like kind of wannabe or right. like a how and I think oh, she no. was she was always out there just hustling you know. Mm-hmm. Okay. So now she's here. She's back in San Diego, beginning of 1947, and she meets Robert Manley, married salesperson. Ah. Kind of a sleaze bag. Ooh. So he saw her on a street corner and offered her a ride home after seeing her. They traveled to Los Angeles together on January 9th of 1947. They went to the Millennium Biltmore Hotel. She, Elizabeth, told Robert Manley that she was meeting her sister there, presumably to make him leave. Because oh. she was like, beep, beep, didn't want to be around him. He, Robert, left her in the lobby of the downtown LA hotel. And she was last seen here at 6.30 p.m. in her typical black suit, white gloves, and black heels. And this was the last time she was seen alive before she was found the next, about a week later on the sidewalk. Oh, so this is, okay, this is it. Okay, wow, all right. Yeah. Huh. So she really, like, her childhood was a lot of bouncing around and yeah. trying to be an actress. Sounds stressful, you know, yeah. sounds like a sad end, you know. So the papers gave Elizabeth Short the name The Black Dahlia, and they said that military men kind of gave her this name after seeing her frequent their favorite spots in, like, her classic little, like, black outfits with, like, her dark hair. Okay. But they don't really know, like, where this came from. It was given to her posthumously or whatever after she was dead. Okay. I don't think really people ever called her that, like, yeah. it to her face. Probably just called her Wednesday. Probably just, yeah, called her Elizabeth. No, <laughs> Wednesday. <laughs> you need to watch that show. It's really good. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm on it, you know. One, one show at a time. I know, I know. 
So her nickname, the Black Dahlia, and her face were posted on the front page of like newspapers for weeks. And this also is instigated by the competition between the big six LA newspapers. So they just were like, I guess, always like competing. And this was like the big, big hot story at the time. Yeah, it's an interesting, it'd be an interesting story today. You know, it's an attractive lady and like in kind of a mysterious uh, murder. Mm -hmm. You know. you know, a lot of innocence and stuff like that. Yeah, you know? She does so. have, like, a very interesting, like, backstory. Yeah, for real. I think. Um, upon discovering the Black Dahlia's identity as Elizabeth Short, two reporters were the first to contact Elizabeth's mother, Phoebe. They called claiming that Elizabeth had won a beauty pageant and that they wanted information on her daughter's background. Ooh. Happily obliging, Phoebe provided details about her daughter, only to then be informed by the reporters that her daughter had been brutally murdered and she was just like in shock apparently she was like what so i mean and in these reporters i'm assuming they did this trick at the same time well i think it was like two reporters on the phone yeah like okay the reporters had this <laughs> fool me once <laughs> if she fully got it twice i don't know so the press had obviously eaten the story up as the violence and the lure of a young hollywood hopeful made for great headlines the police and press received countless countless tips and false confessions in the weeks after the murder. On January 24th of 1947, an envelope addressed to the Los Angeles Examiner and other Los Angeles newspapers was found with a letter made using cutout words from newspapers, like a little scrapbook, scrapbook, paper mache mm-hmm. thing. The day before, a man had called the LA Examiner complimenting their coverage of the Black Dahlia case and offered to send the newspaper shorts belongings to prove that he was the murderer. And the person who answered the phone at the examiner was like, who is this bozo? Probably just another false confession. And it seemed like it wasn't because in the like little snip snip note, it said, here is the Black Dahlia's belonging, or here's the Dahlia's belongings. In the envelope, it included her a copy of her birth certificate, business cards, photos, papers with names written on them and in her address book. The contents were cleaned with gasoline, which is how they suspect Elizabeth Short's body was cleaned before it was dumped. So they were like, this seems pretty legit. So authorities contacted about 75 men from the address books, but no leads really came up. Due to the precision of the cuts on Short's body, they suspected the person was trained in medicine and would have to be the culprit. So they then served a warrant to the USC Medical School and interviewed many involved without any leads. So they really, they did, they did, they did try a lot of things, but yeah. there were many possible links and suspects. So many people came forward to confess to the murder, but they were all eventually proven false. Some linked the Black Dahlia murder to the Cleveland Torso murders taking place between 1934 and 1938. And Elizabeth Short's murder was in 1947. So it was a, this was, these murders were before mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. hers. And while Cleveland was swamped by the Depression, a killer murdered 13 people over the span of four years. These people were decapitated, most of them while they were still alive. And these were also called the Kingsbury Run Murders. A man named Francis E. Sweeney, under the ruse of Dr. X, was a troubled young surgeon who lived in the area. And he had the skill to remember, dismember the bodies. And the murders stopped once he was he committed himself to the sanatorium, but he had never confessed to the murders. That's just who people suspect it might have been. The guy in Cleveland? Yes. Okay. In this um, okay. Francis E. Sweeney. I see. Huh. But I never I heard about this, and we were, like, literally before, we were looking to play, like, something on mute while we were recording this, or, like, you know, some ambiance, yeah. and there was, like, a documentary about the Cleveland Torso murders that huh. we might have to now watch after this is yeah, done. Yeah, yeah, I've never really heard of that. I know, I, I, there's, like, 
obviously a ton more to this, and I kind of want to talk about it, because I, I hadn't heard about this before either. Yeah. But there was, like, I've got a link saved, because okay. I want to read about this. Right. Maybe, right. there's a couple things that I maybe I'll do, like, a part two with, like, some of the, go more in-depth on, like, these. The Cleveland Torso murders. Yeah. Okay. And the one that I'm talking about right now. Okay. So, Jean French was murdered in L.A. on February 10th, 1947, and has been linked to Elizabeth Short's murder as well. Jean French... Mrs. French's body was found in West L.A. on February 10th, 1947, brutally beaten with Fuck You B.D. written in red lipstick on her torso. So this brutal murder, occurring only weeks after Elizabeth Short was found, was linked to the Black Dahlia murder almost immediately. So it was like another bad murder of like this other young, like beautiful woman. Um, but yeah, I was like, these both are something very interesting that I haven't really heard about. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, so they linked that murder with the first one? They, like, some people did. But they don't, like, they didn't really, like, match anything. Except that, is, like, that seems so, like, those are two, like, very different, like, murders. Like, like yeah. A, like, like a, this girl was, like, Like stomped. a hasty fuck you and a stomp, yeah. like, you know, um... I think as, as we may kind of get into in the episode, like, the person who, like, laid out the Black Dahlia you know, wasn't just killing someone, but they were, like, to them, they were, like, displaying an art piece. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, like, I think one of the big things is that, I mean, this was not a great time to be in L.A. Really, no time's a great time to be in L.A. But the fuck you BD, could, the people are like, does that mean Black Dahlia? Oh. Because they were like, maybe, huh. maybe? I don't huh. know. But, yeah. So they were, yeah, there's obviously very Could different MOs. Fuck you, but Bob Either way. So, there were a few suspects throughout the investigation. Robert Manley, the sleazy guy that picked her up on the curb, dropped mm-hmm. her off at the hotel, yep. was an obviously early suspect, but passed his polygraph test and had an alibi, kind of, so they just kind of, he didn't do was it. That, was that Biltmore uh, Hotel, was that kind of a sleazy establishment? I think that was pretty, I think that was pretty classy. Okay. But, um, I mean, it was, they, like, it was in downtown LA, yeah. so it wasn't, like, really nice. Uh-huh. In the, um, Interesting, bit. okay. More hotel. No, it looks it really looks very mm-hmm. opulent. Oh, it's very nice. Huh. So if that was a place, well, that yeah, that one, that, that's that's an interesting thing then. You know? Yeah. No. Oh, it was a nice. It's a nice hotel, and she was left there. Now, did, did the manly guy like let her? Like, did he like set her up to spend the night there, like alone? Or no, what she said there? he was. She was gonna meet her sister there. Oh, okay. And was just like, oh, take me to this place. Oh, so she got dropped off there. So yeah. we don't know if she stayed there. And okay. No. Okay. Sure. But yeah. Um, two men named Leslie Dillon and Mark Hansen looked like promising suspects. So, in the bundle of shorts belongings that was sent to the LA Examiner, Mark Hansen's name was included in the address book, and he was no- a known nightclub owner in the city and also had some ties with the police department. Hmm. It's a typical, you know, sleazy nightclub owner. Two years after the murder, a man named Jack Sand called the LAPD and made claims about the case, knowing details not released to the public, this man's name was eventually and actually found out to be Leslie Dillon, and he accused a man named Jeff Connors of killing Short, and he was said to work for Mark Hansen in the past, this Leslie guy. Mark Hansen, Leslie Dillon, and maybe this Jeff Connors guy were never charged, but Pew Eatwell published a book called Black Dahlia Red Rose in 2017, and proposes the idea that these three men together killed Short in the Astor Hotel, where Leslie Dillon was staying at the time. Huh. The motel owners discovered the room covered in blood and fecal matter and saw a dark-haired woman with Leslie along with a man fitting Hanson's description. Huh. 
So they're like, maybe. At the fine. same time, it also sounds like these guys are all just like grinding axes against each other by accusing each other of murder, you know? <laughs> yeah, or like they had like a, a wild night together in this Astor Hotel and spilled some Pinot Noir and dead animals or something mm. on the floor. Who knows? Mm. But that's a little bit of a speculation. But I think the, the biggest one is that. So former police detective Steve Hodel published Black Dahlia Murder, A Genius for Murder after retiring from the LAPD. And I think I was listening to Black Dahlia, like, Avenger, which is, I guess, his, like, the next book he came out with. Right. Steve Hodel details the investigation and his theory that his father, Dr. George Hodel, killed Elizabeth Short. George Hodel, who is from L.A., enrolled in the California Institute Institute of Technology after graduating high school at 15, he was expelled after having an affair with a professor's wife and getting her pregnant when he was 16. He wanted to raise the child together, but she rejected him and said no. He had then later went on to have a son with a woman named Amelia when he was 21, who he would then eventually was like common law married to. And what is common law? Is that just like you're like living together? Uh, or are like people um, are like oh, different like- states recognize it. It is, um, yeah, I think if, basically if you cohabitate long enough. Mm-hmm. Um, it's um it's kind of just like you're eligible for like their insurance and shit like yeah about to say like like, like, for like legality it's not purposes. like someone just like walks by our house and see, sees knocks you guys on the door. <laughs> sees you guys having a good time like oh you guys are common law married it's usually yeah. something like you need to like want to be common law married for some sort of legal benefit mm-hmm. you know like you need to be like a proponent of it basically yeah. you know um like the priest doesn't just come up to the door one day and be like ding dong and he's like because right you got you guys are yeah you married now yeah yeah so okay. yeah common, no yeah. that makes sense yeah but yeah he was then married to a woman named Dorothy Anthony who he had a daughter with in the 1930s. He enrolled in medical school and received his degree in 1936. He took a job as the head of the county's social hygiene bureau, Mm -hmm. which pretty much gave him access to everyone who had venereal diseases traveling around L.A. Right. So it kind of gave him, like, dirt and the scoop on the Oh, it made him incredibly powerful in the city in that time, especially in in that era, yeah. I feel like people were so... I mean, people still are, but, like, especially during this time, they were, like, terrified of STDs, even though, like, everyone had them. Yeah, about to say, I feel like it, it was a time when people were, like, bothered by, like, having them less. Yeah. But, but they, like, in terms of, like, it being, like, socially known, it was, like, yeah, definitely, like, you know, career killers. You find, find out that you had, like, VD, and so this guy, you know, running this, you know, yeah, you know, department, yeah, I had access to all that information. So, you know, it, yeah, it not only kind of gave him clout, but also kind of like, um, yeah, kind of gave him access to like a lot of like important people and like a lot of important circles. Yeah. Like it would seem. I'm now I'm like looking up really quickly because I was like, when did they invent condoms? And it seems like they've been around forever. Yeah. Like, but they were made of like sheepskin <laughs> or like sheep intestines. Anyway, that's gross. Maybe for a later date. Okay. He was very successful living in one of the wealthiest neighborhoods in L.A. at the time. He spent his free time at parties and dabbled in the S&M scene, and he was very well known in the surrealist art scene, which I feel like you have talked about this before, like surrealism. Oh, he he was like, I mean, outside of like probably killing people, he was an incredibly interesting man, you know? Oh, yeah. have Have you seen the picture of his house? Yes. Yeah, you gotta go to the Georgia. Oh, like yeah. Soudan House. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it's like cool. it's like it, it has the same sort of like I guess sort of like sterile off balance that like the the house in the Tim Burton Beetlejuice movie has. Oh you know? yeah. It's very like 
It was a Frank Lloyd Wright house. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it's it, very strange. Yeah. Oh, I mean, it's a house that definitely, like, unsettles you. Like, your eyes aren't really drawn to any one particular place, you know, which is, like, how a lot of abstract art works, is they, they prevent your yeah. eyes from being drawn to one specific thing, so your eyes go all over the place, and it keeps you from, like, really uh, grounding yourself. Well, they said that, um, too, like, on the interior of the house, like, the yeah. floor plan, you it was very confusing. Or it is. I think it's still up today. It's very, like, the floor plan is confusing. Like, you don't... You wouldn't really know how to navigate it unless, like, you live there. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. like, he would have people over and, like, lead you through these rooms. And then you'd be like, wait, where the fuck am I in this house? Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's so, very interesting. So, he, I mean, throughout his life, he was, like, an, an, you know, an, an absolute, like, prodigy. Like, the guy was, oh, like, yeah. you know. Oh, yeah. like, very intelligent. An, ab- well, an absolute genius of, the, of that time, apparently, you know. Mm-hmm. But I get, and I guess that he kind of, I guess, developed either maybe, like, a superiority complex or just a general, like, you know, boredom with, like, modern life, you know? Mm -hmm. And so you'll see a lot of times with some people, you know, like that, they, you know, they start to, like, delve into, like, trying to, like, find, like, extremes or things that are just, like, so far outside of the human experience, you know? Um, Like the, this sort of, yeah, the S&M stuff and just the surrealist art. And, like, that's, and and that was that, uh, you know, that you could talk about that for, for ages, yeah. but it's just kind of artwork and like performances, in it, and it's just kind of like lifestyle. It's yeah. almost like esotericism, like that's you're doing, yeah, like doing spells the, and shit. The yeah. Wikipedia definition of works yeah. of surrealism feature the element of surprise, unexpected juxtaposition, mm-hmm. and non sequitur. Sequitur, sequitur. It is. It's. <laughs> it, it boils down to art and just actions that you know other people can't comprehend and ideally not even you can comprehend yeah you know um and it just gets taken to all sorts of extremes i think um one of his real cohorts in the field at that time if you look it up it was a guy named man ray m-a-n-n-r-a-y was the artist and he i think really kind of uh, those two developed a bit of a budding friendship i believe man ray uh, was very prominent in like I think very sexual depictions. I yeah. Think. Um, well, there's that, is that what's coming up? Yeah, very, it like in a lot of yeah. It's well, a lot of this especially is, for and that time, was, very dirty. Very stuff. dirty. Yeah. yeah, it's well, like part of it too is like his art is a lot of like women yes. who are like bondage. Their bodies are yeah. like yes, bondage mm-hmm. and like made to look like objects. Mm-hmm. Like this looks like a guitar or like yeah. a woman's like just torso, like no head, no arms, or something else. Or, right, like, right. So something I, that's I guess, obviously like a butt. But it's not a butt, right? Yeah, so when you talk about the surrealism of like of like George Hodel in that circle, it wasn't. It's not exactly like Salvador Dali. It's not pure fantasy. It's definitely like definitely kind of like art and experiences that are outside of like the you know the social norms and, the, and like mm-hmm. the sort of the human consciousness. But there is definitely like a dark sort of abusive undercurrent. Yeah. To what? Because um, yeah, I mean, he had a whole what is it? Whole, whole group of people, kind of like a, oh, you yeah. know, definitely kind of like a they had a little posse going, some sort of like a like a little like a little Illuminati club sort yeah. of thing, you know, that they were yeah. doing. Um, and it was definitely they had like it was very abusive sort of undercurrent to to all yeah. of it. These these were not exactly wine and cheese and art parades, you know. Yeah, and I mean, like, I feel like obviously any art is like up to interpretation, and that's the same thing with this. I think he just interpreted it like. Even, like, if he killed Elizabeth Short or not, he did some other bad things. But, um, can interpret this in, like, many different ways. He did, he did, he did a lot of stuff, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, he did a lot of things. Yeah. So, while still married to Dorothy Anthony, he married Dorothy Harvey in 1940, which is an ex-wife of his best friend, and he took to calling her Dorero, which uh. I guess, like, Dorero, I was listening to, like, the book, and it was saying that, like, Dor and, like, Arrow has, like, 
some like sexual like connotation to it and like whatever in some language it pretty much was like saying that she was around just for sex oh no he she was definitely like i don't know trophy wife or yeah. whatever a crazy surrealist would consider a trophy wife because uh wouldn't she like well and she also was a bit of a bit of a kook too yeah because wouldn't she like hang out like in bathtubs or like kind of like 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 a lounge around like nude like in their front yard Right until like that's jo- yeah. And George Odell would kind of like grab her and like bring her, drag her back inside, basically. And yeah, stuff like I that. never she- really like looked too much into it. Into Dorero. Into Dorero. Yeah, no, yeah. I. It just and it's weird how he is like at this point getting away with pl- polygamy. Oh yeah. Like he's married to multiple people right now. Yeah. So he purchased, as we said before, a Frank Lloyd Wright house um, in 1945 called the Soudan House, living there with Dorothy Number Two, Harvey. And their three kids, Dorothy Anthony, Dorothy number one, and their daughter Tamar, and Amelia, who is that common-law wife Mm -hmm. from earlier, Mm -hmm. living with them on and off. And he was known to have lots of partners and was into sadomasochism. Yeah, I don't know. I don't really understand how he was married to multiple people. Maybe it wasn't like real marriage, but like... Well, you know, it's 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 nineteen forties. I think it's uh, I don't know, it's just different times. A little loosey goosey around the world. I guess. So, or, or when was this? Was this the forties? Yeah, it was in like the forties. Forties. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So Tamar Hodel, his daughter with Dorothy Anthony, Dorothy Number One, yeah. publicly accused of her father of sexually abusing her in nineteen forty nine. Uh-huh. So she claimed he raped her and read erotica to her to quote make her make me a sexual goddess. And due to public knowledge of his sexual appetite, he was immediately charged with incestuous sexual abuse. Two witnesses also testified that at the Southern House, they had seen Hodel force himself on his daughter. And Hodel's defense led just like a smear campaign against Tamar and claimed she was attention-seeking. And the jury believed it and charges were dismissed. Right. So they, so they you know, kind of, you mentioned that he would have like these like kind of big sort of like Sex parties. sex parties are just yeah let's everyone just get fucked up and like it it, it, it almost kind of sounds like in, in in a much worse way it honestly kind of sounds like like oscar wilde holding court where like all the local artists would just come and just like mm-hmm. smoke hash and get drunk and just yeah. see what happens yeah you know? so it went. um there's, there's almost like a productive ring to it except in, yeah. this, in this case scenario you know and uh, but apparently yeah it was definitely a lot of like um not just her i, I think like they I think as people said, or his daughter, his family later said, like, they would see, like, other young people kind of, like, being brought around there, you know? Yeah. Like, There's definitely know. people there that were there for a purpose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. It all sounds very, like, Bohemian Grove or, like, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I don't know. Yeah. But, yeah, so they did not believe tomorrow. These charges put Hodel on the list of sex criminals, however, in the area, leading him to be a person of interest in the Elizabeth Short murder, with his medical background also made him an ideal suspect. There were also multiple witnesses who claimed to have seen George Hodel with Elizabeth Short together at times, labeling her as one of his flings seen around. And evidence led to the bugging of Hodel's room or Hodel's home in early 1950. And a tape eventually was found or the bug found Hodel saying, quote, Supposing I did kill the Black Dahlia, they can't prove it now. They can't talk to my secretary anymore because she's dead. They thought there was something fishy. Anyway, now they may have figured it out. Killed her. Maybe I did kill my secretary, unquote. Hmm. So that seems pretty bad. Still, his secretary, Ruth Spaulding, was found overdose on barbiturates in May of 1945, and it was ruled a suicide. So people speculate that he might have also killed his secretary. Mm-hmm. But I guess, like, no charges were ever brought. Hodel eventually moved to Hawaii, where he started a new family, mm. got another wife, 
and then moved to the Philippines, and then with San Francisco, where he died in 1999. And he eventually, like, became a psychiatrist. And, yeah, he really just kind of moved to the tropics for a little while. In some ways, he's almost like kind of like a, like a real life like Hannibal Lecter from that, yeah, from that movie. He really he's just, just like psycho killer, but someone who just like is clearly just so insanely intelligent yeah. that like you can't like help but like want to like observe him and kind of like learn about him or you know to, to yeah. some extent like you know like I don't know. It's no, just, yeah, he's I think just crazy. He, he objectively, is very interesting. Yeah, but yeah. did he do horrible things? Probably. Are they even proven? I, 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 Not really. I think, I think, assuredly uh, uh, so. Yeah. You know, yeah. Even if he didn't, like, kill the Black Dahlia, like... Doesn't sound like he's a great guy. Doesn't sound like he's a great guy. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. after his father's death, Steve Hodell found a photo album with a photo of a woman who looked identical to Elizabeth Short, leading him to launch a huge investigation into his late father's life. He believed his father killed Short, multiple other women, including the lipstick murders in Chicago, and may even have been the Zodiac Killer. So the lipstick murders have been attributed to a man named William George Hirons, but people question his involvement. So three women, Josephine Ross, Frances Brown, and Suzanne Deegan, were murdered between June of 1945 and January of 1946. And a famous message was written in lipstick in the apartment of Frances Brown's home, leading to the name of the three murders. And this said, For heaven's sake, catch me before I kill more. I cannot control myself. Which is very creepy if you want to look at like the crime scene photo. Yeah. It's written like all like weird and like disjointed. Yeah. It's very strange. Suzanne Deegan, who was six years old at the time, was abducted from her room and the culprit leaving a ransom note behind. She was found dead hours later, but police linked William Hirons print to the note, and the investigation had many flaws, including the use of sodium pentanol or truth serum, whatever. Yeah. Um, via a spinal tap, which was not given with anesthetic, and then a confession given to avoid the death penalty. And this man spent 65 years in prison protesting his innocence the whole time and applying for release over 30 times. So people speculate that this guy was, like, kind of coerced into doing yeah. confessing to this. Yeah. But, yeah, that's kind of the thing that he was linked to. Very interesting. But very yeah. interesting. So the murder is still very unsolved. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's... Um, it's very interesting. I think after the... I think spurred on by that like Black Dahlia Avenger book that that his son so a lot of his family have kind of um, come out and kind of spoken about their experiences and it's really interesting to kind of see how like whatever you want to call it like the you know the acorn doesn't fall far from the tree like that's not yeah. that. these people aren't killing people no but like it is a family that is absolutely just steeped in. Bad. I mean, you know, this you know this this guy who wrote the book. This you know this uh, investigator. Steve seems like a pretty normal guy, but a, a lot of the rest of the family is just like weird, like semi vagrant yeah. slash semi just people that like just make a lot of poor decisions, yeah. and some of that's like trauma, and that's some of like you know what is in this like family's yeah, blood. That's you well, know, like, yeah, like all this is speculation, mm-hmm. but like, can you imagine growing up in a home where your dad? Has multiple wives. Right. You have multiple siblings with different moms, which mm-hmm. creates a weird dynamic. Yeah. And you have your father is allegedly running huge like sex parties and possibly murdering women. And think about the timeline too. Like all this stuff happens in the forties and the fifties. Yeah. You know, there's a I lot mean, going on there too. Well, ten or twenty years later, you got this effect of the um, of kind of the free love uh, mm-hmm. time period. Where to a certain extent, a lot of this sort of like, you know, fuck it, do whatever sort of like laissez-faire, you know, attitude, yeah. 
like almost like normalizes some of the mm. stuff that like happened to you, you know, like that, like you that's know. That's true. Um, that, and, and that's like the years where you would kind of like speak out about it. And that's that's the yeah. kind of years where you would maybe self-correct, but then but then all the drugs and the sex, which you know, I mean, hey, you know, ten out of ten, you Great might times. really wish I was alive at that point. Yeah, but <laughs> it probably served to really normalize, you know, a lot of that stuff to them. To the point where they're not self-correcting, they're leaning into that, mm-hmm. you know, to, to some extent. And um, I don't have it off the top of my head. But, yeah, if you kind of look into kind of how like a lot kids, of the kind of. manifested, um, you know, it's uh, it's a pretty interesting and, you know, kind of often like a kind of heartbreaking story. Yeah, it is kind of sad. Know? Yeah. Yeah, it is very sad. Sad for all these people. There's a lot of murder mm-hmm. in this story <laughs> that is all unsolved. Yeah. But, but yeah. I kind of want to look back into, like, the torsos and that jean lady. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, Um, yeah, I'd never heard about those before. But Proof proves that L.A. was a bad time back then. Still isn't a great tip place, but... It's just just interesting. Like, have you ever seen the movie, like, Under the Silver Lake with Andrew Garfield? Mm -mm. Do you like Andrew Garfield, though? What is that? I do like Andrew Garfield. Who doesn't? Um, It's kind of panned, but it is this weird movie about, like, Los Angeles... And this dude who's kind of like a piece of shit, but like, you know, in some weird altruistic way, he's trying to solve basically the disappearance of this girl he's kind of like creepily obsessed with, you know? Very strange. He's kind of a piece of shit, but he's also kind of like the protagonist of the story. It's weird, you know? It's like you. And Thank you. Um... (laughs) And, no, I meant um, like to show you. Oh, oh, okay. Like they want, they want you to like him, but like deep down you're like, this guy's a piece of shit. Wait a minute, who's on first thing going on right now? Who's on first? Evan Costello. Yeah, that's homework. Um, so, um, but anyway, long story short, um, you know, the guy just kind of goes crazy with all these conspiracy theories, like thinking there's like some like sort of like sex ring, you know, like kidnapping girls, and there's just all this sort of like kind of weird esotericism going on in this show. And basically, long the short of it is, he gets to the end of the the movie, and he meets the guy who's the leader of it, and the guy's like, "Yeah, there's a there's a sex ring, and we took her and." Like, what are you going to do about it? And then he and then he realizes, like, he can't do anything, uh-huh. you know? That's a very upsetting movie. Yeah, well, well I mean, it, it's a, it's slightly more lighthearted. Thanks for spoiling for me. It's slightly more lighthearted than that, but I sent him not really, you know? But anyway, <laughs> Los Angeles just seems like just a weird, culty, esoteric place. Like, we need to go see, like, the Manson Cave, but beyond that, like, I'm good I want to see the Cecil Hotel. I want to go to Skid Row. Ah, ooh. I need to put on hazmat and, you know, and, you know, night armor for that one you know yeah. some chain mail yeah maybe yeah. Nice. my cousin actually lives in like downtown LA mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Let's, let's go yeah. I actually don't I have no desire to go to LA no. LA might be like my last stop on places I want to go yeah yeah so but anyway but yeah my sources I guess for this I used a novel suspect article on a brief history of the Black Dahlia and all that's interesting article by Jessica O'Connor a true crime database by Man named Nucleus, which I think I've cited this guy before. Mm-hmm. Crime Traveler article by Fiona Guy, and an knowledge interesting article by Kelsia Frega, mm-hmm. and a Wikipedia article by Joe Sedell, and the Black Dahlia Avenger by yeah. Steve Hodel. And, you know, and one more one that I can add, where like you know, I mean, ninety percent of the you know, if 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 I seem to, if I've seemed well informed on this podcast, ninety percent of what I have said has been ripped off from this really good good podcast um, called uh, Root of Evil. Mm-hmm. that um, really goes in depth on this um, and kind of like what the family's up to now. I was saying to like talk that. more focused on like Hodel almost instead. I feel like mm-hmm. that's been like, I mean, the Black Dahlia is obviously like in the, the murder of Elizabeth Short is always like a huge case. But I feel like now 
since Steve came out with this idea about his father. And I feel mm-hmm. like now it's like the the internet sleuths have really like leaned into the hotel family. I just think he did it. Like I think I it's think like, too. you know, yeah. I mean, yeah, I don't think yeah. it's ever going to get proven that he did because no, you know. I just don't really know how they would do that. But no, yeah. I think it, out of everything, it sounds pretty pretty legit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we need a good George Hodel movie. Like the, like the more you learn about this, the more like it, it baffles movie, me yeah. on all, like just an excellent like, you know, um, sort of like quite a creepy but sort of like funky horror movie. Like They could even like, because I feel like now people have gotten kind of sensitive about like people backlash about like that Dahmer series on Netflix and not like glorifying like killers. But oh, like yeah. they could even like really make this like really funky and do like a kind of a a ripoff of his life and yeah. just not accredited to him and accredited to like well, somebody else. Well, but once again, I, th- I think, you know, with him, there's, there, there's, there's so much th- like everything's a legend. Well, and, 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 and like I said, obviously like piece of shit, dude, you know, yeah. like total creep and belonged in jail, but there is a certain like Hannibal Lecter. Oh like, yeah, for sure. From like, if, if, if uh, you know, if, you know, from the, if, if this was like a fictional, if this is all fiction, you know, there's, there's a certain, there's definitely a certain like badass them. Yeah. <laughs> to, yeah, like, like, yeah. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. I mean, if he sticked with just liking surrealism and like being a doctor and even just having like sex parties, like that's fine. Just yeah. don't rape and murder people. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. Yeah. So. But, um, no, I agree. It would be yeah. it would be very interesting. Yeah. Movie movie makers out there, pick it up. Yeah. Try to watch it. Yeah. But yeah, well, that's all we had for today. See you guys next week. See you then. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye bye.